Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Welcome to New Life. I know we have a lot of sharp folks that attend New Life. You've probably already figured out I'm not Pastor Brad, as it says there on the front. Brad French. I'm Pastor Chris, for those of you who knew. I'm the lead pastor here at New Life, and uh, we've been in this series, as you can see, called Divine Direction, and uh, we've been talking about how we make thousands of choices every day, and uh, most of those choices seem like they're small choices at the time, but as it said on the screen, those small choices can lead to large consequences, and that's why we don't want to just let our friends decide what we're going to do. We don't want to, you know, go to the latest Gallup poll and do whatever everybody else is doing. We really want wisdom, and to get wisdom in order to answer how we're going to, you know, live our lives, what choices we're going to make, what commitments we're going to make, uh, we need divine direction, God's direction, and thankfully, in this book, which we call the Bible, there is a lot of that, and particularly in the book of Proverbs which was written by King Solomon, there is uh, one of the richest sources of wisdom uh, available to humanity. So this week, um, we're going to go right to the take-home point. And for those of you who are new, we seek to make one point here at New Life every week. And then we want to take that home, and we want to pray about it and reflect on it and live it out in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so this week's take-home point is very brief. Wisdom is worth it. Wisdom is is worth it. As we think about that, and as we go to the book of Proverbs, we find that in the first cha- 10 chapters in particular, although the book is 31 chapters long, there is a concentrated focus on how important it is to get wisdom and to live it out in our lives so that we will be effective in our lives and so that we'll bring glory to God in them. So wisdom is worth it, but it's challenging. It's hard to, first of all, gain it, and it's second, well, actually, it's not that hard to gain it. You just got to read and learn and understand, but it's, I guess, hard to put into practice. And so as we think about what it means to put into practice the wisdom of God, let's make a, a few definitions. Uh, first of all, wisdom is knowledge, but not, knowledge isn't always wisdom. Uh, here, let's look at it this way. Wisdom is realized in applying knowledge to a particular situation. For example, back when I was in seminary, I had a summer job pumping gas in Princeton, well, Princeton Junction, New Jersey. And one time this guy came in in a classic Corvette. And, and so I, you know, I reached for the gas, actually I reached for the regular gas, which was not to his liking whatsoever. And he goes, don't put that stuff in my tank. So, okay, so wisdom would say, gas goes in the tank. Where would you like this gas, sir? You see, so not putting the gas on the car, but in the car, that's wisdom, right? That's knowledge is, I know this is gas, and I know that's a car, I know he needs the gas, but what he really wanted was the high test. And so I had to put the other thing back, put it back, and I put the high test in his gas tank. That's wisdom, applying knowledge to a particular situation, right? And and there are many examples of that in our everyday lives. Whenever uh, we apply the knowledge that we have in a practical way, that's wisdom. So wisdom is doing the right thing at the right time, but the challenge is how do we know in every situation what's the right thing, and then how do we know when is the right time? Well, God has provided us this information, as I said, in his book, and not just in Proverbs. Look what the Apostle Peter said about knowledge and about how we can actually know what to do in any situation. It says, God's divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him 
who called us by his own glory and goodness. So God has given us everything that we need to know what to do and actually when to do it. So why would God do that? Well, he did it to prove that he's good. Even though we rejected God, God created the whole universe. He created everything for our pleasure and for us to follow him and to glorify him. He created the first two people and everything was going fine for a while. And then we decided that we wanted to be God. And so we turned away from God. And yet that good God continued to give us wisdom and knowledge. He continued to give us everything we need, both physically as well as spiritually. And so that we could live our lives to his glory, even though we turn away from him. So he wants to show us that he's a good God. That's why he gives us wisdom. And wisdom starts with God. Despite the fact that, you know, you can go online or go to a bookstore if you really want to take the time to go to a bookstore, and you can find thousands of self-help books, right? And you can find self-help books that give you information about just about anything. And the the truth is that the truth that's in those self-help books, if it's really true, it's from God. All wisdom comes from God. I'm not saying this morning that we just have to read the Bible and we should never read anything else. In fact, back hundreds of years ago, there was a great reformer in the church named John Calvin. And John Calvin said this about the wisdom that we find outside of God's word. He said this, therefore, in reading profane authors, I love it because John Calvin didn't think too highly of human beings. You you know that. If you know anything about John Calvin, he thought we were all basically depraved. And even though Jesus came in and gave us a new life, we still weren't going to be that great. So he calls us profane authors if we wrote a book. The admirable light of truth displayed in them. So see, he's saying even profane authors have truth, should remind us that the human mind however much fallen and perverted from its original integrity, is still adorned and invested with admirable gifts from its creator. If we reflect that the Spirit of God is the only fountain of truth, we will be careful as we would avoid offering insult to him not to reject or condemn truth wherever it appears. So the language is stilted, but the message is pretty clear. Even when we have a profane author, any human being, who's fallen, and and even if they're saved by the grace of God, they're still, you know, got problems... If there's truth in there, it's from God. All truth is from God. So when you read a self-help book and it gives you help, give glory to God. That's what John Calvin said, and really it's what King Solomon said as well. In fact, as we turn to the word of God today, what we're going to find is that King Solomon points to God as the foundation of wisdom, and he's going to definitely tell us that wisdom is worth it in our lives. Before we turn there, let's pray. God, we do thank you that you love us so much that even when we turn away from you, you still love us and you still show us your truth and your goodness and your purpose for our lives. God, fill us with your Holy Spirit right now that we might understand your message and we might receive your message and that it might transform us from the inside out that we can love you more and serve you more faithfully. We ask this in Jesus' name. So the first thing we're going to look at is one verse from Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 says this. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. So Solomon makes a vital distinction. In the first half of the verse, he says that the fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge. If we want to have true knowledge, wisdom in our lives, we've got to fear or respect, revere the Lord. But then he contrasts that with what happens if we don't. But fools despise wisdom and discipline. So Solomon gives us two key principles right here. Number one, God is the foundation of wisdom. And two, fools despise wisdom. And when we despise wisdom, if we're being foolish, and we all do it sometimes, act like fools, right? Um, We're actually rejecting God 
himself in that moment. So Solomon's focus on God as the foundation of wisdom is a recurring theme in the Bible. In fact, if we turn to the New Testament and we turn to the author of truth, Jesus Christ, we find that in his Sermon on the Mount, which is the largest single collection of Jesus' teaching, it's found in Matthew's chapter 5, 6, and 7, if, if we turn there, we find at the very end that Jesus is going to say something very similar to what Solomon just told us. Here's what he said. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on a solid rock. Though the rain comes and torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. So do you see what Jesus did? He made that same distinction that Solomon did. When we follow the word of God, the will of God, the truth of God, and we know that if every time Jesus speaks, it's the truth of God because he's God, then we're building our lives on a firm foundation. But when we reject it, when we don't follow that truth, then we are fools. And that's what he says. Now, Jesus would probably sum up what it means to, uh, to, to follow him and to put that truth into action, to put that knowledge into action, to become wisdom with a single word, obedience. In fact, um, obedience in the Christian sense is applying God's truth in our lives in the power of the Holy Spirit. If we really want to know how to live a life of, uh, of actually uh, of usefulness, uh, of of truth, of goodness, all the things that God wants for us, all we have to do is learn what God said, and then we have to apply what he said in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the cool thing is, when we trust Jesus as Savior and Lord, um, we get the Holy Spirit, because there's only one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as we've said so many times here at New Life. So when we receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, we have the capacity to apply the truth that we learn in the power of the Holy Spirit. So, both Solomon and Jesus made it clear if we want to be wise, then we have to lay that solid foundation. In engineering, a solid foundation is key to structural integrity. We're going to build a new building out here, and the foundation is pivotal because if the foundation is solid, then you can build the building on top of it. And in the same way, if we want to live with wisdom and integrity, we have to lay a solid foundation coming from the truth of God. And as I already said, in the Bible, yes, but wherever there's truth to be found, when we take that truth and apply it in the power of the Holy Spirit, then we can have a, a, a solid life. And so as we look at that question again, what is the right thing to do and when is the right time to do it, we know what the right thing to do is. I mean, we can know at least because we have the truth of God. But the question remains, when is the right time? When is the right time to do it? Well, King Solomon gives us an answer to that question, too. Look what he says in Proverbs 4, 7. He says, getting wisdom is the wisest thing you can do, and whatever else you do, develop good judgment. So he makes it as simple as he can make it. Getting wisdom is the wisest thing you can do. So the implication is that now would be the best time to do it. Now. Once you get the wisdom, the best time to apply it is now. If we have the wisdom of God, why would we want to wait to apply it? You know, that's an interesting question. I really want to stop there and think about that for a minute. The, the question is, if getting wisdom is the wisest thing you and I can do, why would we wait to get it? Well, I know one answer. It's an answer that's been given to me, I would say, if not hundreds, at least dozens of times in my 30-plus years as a pastor. People have come to me, and we've been talking, and they say, you know, I know, that, I know the Bible's true. I know that following Jesus is right. But here's the thing. 
I want to have fun. I want to have fun for a while. You know, I mean, I want, to, I want to enjoy my life. And maybe when I get to be as old as you, then, then I'll follow God's will. Then I'll put the wisdom into action. In other words, it's fun to act like a fool. It's fun to sin. And so I'm going to do that for a while. And then when I get old and can't do that anymore, then I'll follow the will of God. And, and you know, the truth of the matter is, sin and foolishness are fun until they're not. <laughs> Did you ever notice that? I mean, as I've said many times, if sin felt like a root canal, we wouldn't do it. But sin feels good in the beginning. In fact, think about the short-term choices that we make every day and how easy it is to choose the foolish thing or the sinful thing instead of the wise thing. For example, let's say that today this is a bonus paycheck. Everybody gets a bonus paycheck today, all right? So what do you do? Well, in the short term, you say, whoa, I'm going to go spend it, right? I'm going to go have fun. That's what you do with a paycheck if you don't think, if you, if you don't apply the, or learn the truth of God and apply it in your life. You just go out and spend it. And what about, uh, let's see something else. Uh, let's say uh, you have a group of friends, and the group of friends says, hey, let's go out and get into some trouble. And you go, well, that sounds like fun. It's more fun than going with this group of friends that always does the next right thing, right? I mean, why wouldn't you want to get in trouble if you could for a little bit and, and instead of doing the next right thing? Or, or why, what about this one? Um, isn't it more fun to drive 15 or 20 miles an hour over the speed limit instead of driving the speed limit? I know I'm sort of getting into meddling there now, right? Uh, but, you know, there's all of these choices we have to make. Uh, like, for example, the, did you notice that every Sunday morning we have donuts and cookies? We don't have broccoli and spinach, right? I mean, if we had broccoli and spinach, don't raise your hand, but I, I'm, the six of you who would take broccoli and spinach over donuts and tortilla chips, right? I mean, in the short term, there are some things that, taste better, feel better, make us, you know, make us happier in the short term than doing the wise thing or the foolish thing. And the point is, we don't choose to get wisdom every moment, even though now is the best time to do that, because it's easier and more fun in the short run to be foolish or sinful. It's more fun in the short run, and it plays right to our instant gratification culture and our instant gratification nature. Let's be honest, we all want to feel good right now. Wisdom isn't always obviously the best choice in the short run either. I mean, when we have a choice to make, let's go back to the first week, and I know some of you weren't here the first week of the series, but remember what I said, you have $5 in your hand, and you can take that $5 and you can buy a fancy coffee or you can buy a pack of cigarettes or you can put it in the bank. And tomorrow you have the same decision to make. I can take that $5 and I can, you know, buy fancy coffee, I can buy a pack of cigarettes or I can put it in the bank. Well, you know, the fancy coffee or the pack of cigarettes tastes better, feels better in the short term, then the $5 in the bank, $5 in the bank, but 30 years of $5 in the bank, $5 in the bank, $5 in the bank at 5% interest is $127,000. But who has 30 years to wait? Well, if you're 10, you do. If you're 20, you do. If you're 60, it's iffy, right? But, but the bottom line is I have days, weeks, months to wait, and every day I get to make decisions. Every day you get to make decisions. We don't, any of us know exactly how many days, weeks, months, years we have left to wait. But it's those short-term decisions that become long-term consequences. And Solomon wants us to understand that now is always the best time to make a good choice, a good decision, a good commitment. And, and Solomon also tells us, whatever else you do, develop good judgment. Okay, good judgment is a very important concept. You know, uh, remember the research I shared the week one? I said that we make about 35,000 you know, 
remotely conscious choices on a daily basis. So we have to understand that our lives are directed ultimately by our decisions and our commitments. That takes good judgment. In every little choice we have to make, we need to exercise good judgment. And remember in week one, I said we can ask ourselves a question. It comes from Ephesians chapter 5, 18 to, or 15 to 21. And the question is, what is the wise thing to do? If every time I have a choice to make, I say, what is the wise thing to do? Most often, I will know. <laughs> Most often, I'm going to know what the wise thing to do is. Knowledge in my head. I mean, for example, whenever my wife says to me, would you like to whatever X blank? I know the right answer. Yes, dear. Right? I mean, that's the right answer. I, I don't have to think about it. I don't have to, you know, I don't have to go to the research books. I don't have to Google it. I know the right answer. And, and so we often know the right answer. But here's the thing. Um, when we ask that question, what is the wise thing to do? And, some, and we're stumped. We don't really know what the wise thing to do is. Pastor Andy Stanley has helped us out here because he's taken that what is the wise thing to do question and he made it, instead of so general, a little more specific. Here's what he asks. He says, in light of my past experiences, my current circumstances, and my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing to do? Do you see how that helps us a bit? Because my past experiences have already told me that when I choose this path, it's a bad path. I already know, I know things that have bad consequences. I mean, don't you know some things? You've done them in the past, and so now you know don't do that again. Or on the other hand, you know this is the right path, and, and so I'll do that again. So our past circumstances. Then what about my current circumstances? What, am, where, what situation am I in in life right now? I mean, if you're 12 years old, that's a radically different situation than if you're 60 years old. If you're married, that's a different situation than if you're single. If you're, if you're in school right now, that's a different situation than if you're in the workforce. You see, there's all these circumstances currently that inform what is the wise thing to do. I mean, let's think about it. If it's October and you're in 10th grade and somebody says, hey, let's take a three-week road trip, it's probably a bad choice, right? You see, because the circumstance makes it wrong. Then the next thing is, what about my future aspirations, my hopes, my dreams? What am I, what do I, where do I want to end up? If I know I want to end up at the, over at the end of the stage, I'm going to have to eventually take some steps that lead me to the end of the stage, right? In the same way, if I know I want to be a certain thing in my life, then I'm going to have to take steps that will lead me to that certain place. So good judgment comes from taking our past experiences, our current circumstances, our future hopes and aspirations in light of the information, preferably godly information that we have, and then applying it. And we all know people who seem to, you know, they seem to have the, the knack for making the wrong choice every time. We know people like that. They just don't make good choices. And then on the other hand, we know people who do seemingly consistently make good choices. And the difference is taking the filter of our past experiences, and, and I mean, if you learn from your past experiences, that's good judgment. But if you don't learn, I mean, I've, I, uh, some of my good judgment comes from bad judgment. You know what I'm saying? I'd made bad choices in the past. Now I know not to do that anymore. And so that's where good judgment comes from. But if you never apply what happened in the past to your current situation, that's bad judgment. So uh, the thing is, every word of God is true all the books of self-help out there that have true things that actually help you, that, that's true. I mean, John Calvin helped us understand that God's truth is all truth. And so if it's really true, then it doesn't matter where the source is. We have all this information, all this information. 
but it reminds me of a formula. Information minus application. It's just information. I have a lot of information in my head. We all have a lot of information in our heads. Actually, we probably have more information in our heads than the people of any era in history because information is at our fingertips, right? Literally at our fingertips. But information minus application, it's just information. But information plus application is transformation. That's what I've been saying, you know, for years around here. If we take information, we apply it in the power of the Holy Spirit, then we get transformed from the inside out. It changes our lives. And for nearly 2,000 years, Jesus' followers have debated whether it's possible for us to be transformed, really, to live that life, that, that life of wisdom, that life of excellence, that life of good judgment consistently. You know, in, in the one camp, what people say is, we're so broken that even after Jesus Christ comes into our lives and saves us from sin and death by his blood shed on the cross, even after that, we're still going to be screwed up. We're still going to live lives that basically are lives of bad judgment. We're, not gonna, we're never really going to you know, become like Jesus. And, and there are a lot of people in that camp. And then there are people on the other side, and, and they have read Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 1, what, what uh, I'm, I actually think it's Romans 6, it is. Romans 6, starting in verse 1. And here's what Paul says. He says, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? So the question is, since we like to sin and God loves to forgive sin, shouldn't we just keep sinning? Wouldn't that be a good idea? It, that's bad judgment. And, and his answer is, of course not. Actually, his answer is meganoito. In Greek, that's the strongest possible way of saying no. I mean, it, it, you, would, you would say, God forbid, it's no. And then he, he says, here's why. Because since we've died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ, Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. You see, Paul believed, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that once we have Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior in our lives, and that's a big thing. Lord means he's the owner of our lives. Savior means that he saved us from sin and death. And that also means that we have the Holy Spirit, as I said, in our lives. Once that happens, we can live lives where the wisdom that we have, the knowledge that we have, can be applied and turned into wisdom. And where we can have good judgment on a daily basis with all those little choices that we have to make because... Because of the transformation that Jesus has done in us. It's not about us. It's not like one person is smarter and one person isn't. It's one person is wise and one person is foolish. I mean, we're all foolish to some degree. And yes, we have different IQs, but all of that doesn't matter in light of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. What matters is that if Jesus Christ really died on the cross and he really rose from the dead and he really sent his um, Holy Spirit into us who believe in him, we have a power source that isn't available to that natural human being. And in, in that, what Paul says is that we can live a new life. And that's the key. You know, the danger is that we read these words and it tells us that we should love one another and it tells us that we should, you know, um, treat each other the way we want to be treated and has all these common sense things that we find in the scripture and we try to do it on our own. And as I said last week, which leads to self-righteousness where we feel like we're better people. I'm a better person than, than you are. That's in my mind. But self-righteousness is not righteousness. And the thing is, neither Jesus nor Paul nor Solomon wanted us to be better people. They wanted us to be new people, new people from the inside out. Jesus didn't die on the cross to make us better. Jesus didn't die on the cross to help us, you know, to, to, to change our behavior. Th those things happen. But Jesus died on the cross 
and rose from the dead to give us a whole new life. That's why he said we must be born again. Then when that life comes, our lives change from the inside out. So we take the knowledge and we apply it in the power of the Holy Spirit and we get a new life. And that new life is, becomes more and more and more like Jesus. So living wisely and exercising good judgment, doing the right thing at the right time, isn't only possible for followers of Jesus. Jesus expects it to happen. So the question then remains, are we serious about doing the wise thing? Are we serious about, doing, uh, about guarding our hearts? Are we serious about living wisely? Those three questions are just the same question applied to each of the three weeks of the series. Because the first thing I talked about wisdom, and last week I talked about guarding our hearts, and today I talked about living wisely. And it really, bottom line is, are we serious about blank? Are we serious about Jesus? Are we serious about this new life? that is truly life and that's abundant life that is for here and now, but it's also forever. Are we serious about that? Because if we're not, then we won't change. But if we are, we will. In fact, Jesus talked to some people in a church in a place called Laodicea back after he had actually gone to heaven. He, he talked through John. Uh, he told them to write this letter to this church in Laodicea. And what he said was, you're lukewarm. You're not hot or cold. And Jesus said, it makes me sick. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. And actually, the Greek word is vomit. So, I mean, Jesus is made sick whenever we're lukewarm. And actually, I've always thought hot or cold meant he wanted us to be, you know, serving him boldly or rejecting him. But I found out last night, I might not be right about that. Because in Laodicea, there were two streams. Well, there were mineral springs that were hot. And there was this ice cold spring. And so both cold and hot were good. But they merged together and they became lukewarm and then they weren't good for anything. So what he's saying is be all in. Either be all in or, or you know, there's no other choice. <laughs> because the other choice is you'll be lukewarm. And if you're just lukewarm, you're never going to live wisely. You're never going to guard your heart. You're never going to, um, you know, choose the next right thing when you have the choice. And so as your pastor, it is my job to make sure that the day that you meet Jesus face-to-face -face is the best day of your eternity. I've said that many times here. I take that job very seriously. Every time I stand up here, my goal is that if anybody in the room doesn't know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, that you will, that you will say yes to him so that your life can be changed from the inside out and you can be a new person. And that if you do know Jesus, that you will have more information that you can apply in the power of the Holy Spirit so your transformation process, what the Bible calls sanctification, can continue. Because if I preach the truth in love and you receive the truth in love and you let the Holy Spirit work, you, the day you meet Jesus is going to be a really, really good day. And so that's my goal. And everything I do as your pastor, that's my, that's my energy. That's my direction. That's my focus is to make the day you meet Jesus the best day of your eternity. But there's one thing I can't do. I can't be all in for you. You have to be all in for you. It, it, that's, that's up to you. And so as, as we think about this concept that Solomon had long, long time ago about doing the right thing at the right time, which the right thing is obvious and the right time is now, that's up to you. And you have the power of the Holy Spirit if Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord in your life. If he's not, then surrender your life to him. Let him take over and give you that new life that we all need because all of us are born foolish and unwise. And, and we can't ever learn enough. We can't go to school long enough. We can't Google enough items to, to get our life together. We have to have 
Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. So here's the commitment I'm going to ask all of us to make um, if our bodies, souls, and spirits are already devoted to Jesus Christ this week. And it's this. I will seek God's wisdom with all I have this week. I will seek God's wisdom with all I have this week. That's what, um, that's what we all can purpose to do. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, we can do it more and more and more and more. Will we fail? Yes, most likely. But do we have to fail? No, the Word of God says we don't have to. We really just need to focus on learning the truth and then letting the Holy Spirit apply the truth, and then our lives will be more and more like Jesus. It starts with seeking God. Jesus, or actually, it's not Jesus, but the Word of God says this. If anybody seeks God with all their heart, we'll find him. You know, and it's, it's not easy, but it's simple. Remember last week I said following Jesus isn't rocket science? It's not rocket science this week either. It's still simple. It's truth applied in the power of the Holy Spirit equals good judgment, equals wisdom, equals a new life. And that's what all of us are guaranteed in Scripture when we go all in. Somebody asked me last night, do you think lukewarm people are really Christians? And here's my default answer. There's no T at the end of my name. I'm not the judge. The guy with the T at the end of his name, Christ, I'm Chris. Christ, he's the judge. I'll let him decide, but I know this. <laughs> I'm not going to be lukewarm. When I stand in front of Jesus, he's not going to, he's not accused me of lukewarmness. He might accuse me of some other things, but it isn't going to be lukewarmness, right? And in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10, Jesus, or, or Paul said this about Jesus. He's the foundation. He's the foundation. And then what did Jesus and Solomon say? Wisdom is sort of like the second foundation. But I love what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, 10 and following. He said, on that foundation, we are building our houses, our lives. And our lives are gold, silver, precious stones, which is good, righteous deeds, deeds of wisdom, or wood, hay, and straw. And the wood, hay, and straw is foolishness, sin. And he says, when we face him, when we come in front of Jesus, that house is going to be exposed to fire, judgment. And the bad things are going to be just sort of burned away, and the good things are going to remain, and that's going to be our reward. And my prayer is that there will be more remains of our house when we stand in front of Jesus than is left. But even if the whole house burns down, what Paul says is we will escape as one going through the flames because Jesus is gracious and he's the Savior. It's not our works. We don't do good works to get saved. We do good works because we are. So let's go out, seek God's wisdom in everything we are and everything we do this week, all in. And if this is the week we see Jesus, it'll be a good week. If the next week is the week we see Jesus, it'll be a good week. And if we don't see Jesus for a long time, it'll be a good life that leads to a good moment that lasts forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for sending Jesus to save us from ourselves, from our sin, from our foolishness. Thank you for giving us your written word, which gives us wisdom. And, and, and most of all, God, thank you that you have not turned away from us, that you give us the opportunity to be all in for you. I pray that for each of us in the room today. And if any trusted Jesus as I was talking this morning, I pray that you'd fill them right now with your Holy Spirit in a way that will allow them to grow quickly in your ways. For all of us, Lord, who have already done that, 
I pray that you would fill us anew with your Holy Spirit, that we can take one step closer to you each and every moment of our lives, that we would always remember that now is the best time to exercise wisdom and your good judgment. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.